Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You know, last year in Kansas City, we had 150 homicides. About 40% of those cases in Kansas City remain unsolved. Many are considered cold. It was so hard for me to accept that I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to hear it. A heartbreaking reality for dozens of Metro families. I, I felt like I was going to faint. That's my little brother. We're so close. It was the emptiest feeling I've ever felt before. Each victim has a unique story in life and in death with friends, family, detectives, and prosecutors all fighting for justice. We're joining the case to get answers. This is Fox 4 Problem Solvers Crime Files, the podcast. I'm Kara Small. The week before Halloween in 2017 seemed to be a really deadly time in Kansas City. Five people were shot and killed in just three days. Several others were injured in those crimes. Each victim's life changed by gunfire. At that time, they found the victim's bodies. The homicides included the high-profile murder of Kansas City lawyer Tom Pickert, shot and killed on his front porch after walking his kids to school. Our office has asked that this defendant continue to be held without bond. Prosecutors have since charged a man in that case. But it's a lesser known case, one that is no closer to being solved that we're diving into. Lesser known to you and me maybe, but not to the victim's family and friends or the detectives who have spent hours searching Kansas City streets for a killer. This is about 27-year-old Christopher Shaver. His life was taken from him after someone shot him on October 27th. It happened at twilight, around 6 p.m., as Chris stopped to talk to someone on his way to his girlfriend's house. Police say Shaver and his friends were just standing at the curb near 69th Terrace in Brooklyn talking. Witnesses later told investigators that the neighborhood suddenly exploded with gunfire, some telling police that the shooter fired 10 to 15 times. Shortly after the shooting, police described it as an ambush. Police say Chris had been in the neighborhood only about 15 minutes before the shooting started. They know this because Chris had been on the phone with his sister until just minutes before his death. In their last conversation, Chris told his sister Cherish that he was heading to his new girlfriend's house for part of the evening, but he never arrived. When I had last talked to my brother, he was pretty happy. He was getting a home-cooked meal. Um, from his girlfriend and he was going to go eat and she called me and asked me did I hear her she had called his phone asked him where he was at because he hadn't made it and when she called the young lady answered the phone as well and so she called me his girlfriend called me and said do you know who's answering his phone and said he just got shot what's going on I'm like no he didn't I just talked to him and she's like no he just got shot and she was like, they said he's going to the hospital. 
It's after that phone call from Chris's girlfriend when Cherish and the rest of Chris's family started to panic. They couldn't get a hold of him, and a stranger just told them that Chris was injured and on the way to the hospital. It was like, I didn't even believe it. Like, I thought I called the wrong number. I kept calling back, but no, I just talked to him. I was all over the place. I didn't believe it because it didn't make sense. I called my mom and I told her that he had been shot because that's what I had just heard. And I called his phone several more times because I didn't believe it had really happened. Still in shock, Cherish rushed to her parents' home to help her mom break the devastating news to her dad. Even worse, Cherish and their parents live in Wichita. They had a three and a half hour drive before they could even reach Chris. I was taking a nap. Um, my wife woke me up when they told me that they had brought my son into the emergency room and that he was barely hanging on to life. And then we received a call later on saying that he had passed. I couldn't accept it. Right away, we, we got into the car. Um, Cherish and my other daughter and myself, we left. I mean, it was night. And we drove all the way, you know. And um, when we got here, of course, he had already, they had already, you know, pronounced he had passed on. That was Michael. He's Chris and Cherish's dad. If you listen to Cherish and Michael talk about Chris, you can hear the heartbreak in their voices. Michael loves to talk about his son. As he shares stories about Chris, you can tell they were close for the 27 years of Chris's life. Chris was a prayer child. He's a son in which we prayed for. Because mm -hmm. I had three daughters, and we thought that was it. And then Chris comes along. And I said, that, this is great. He's answered prayer. Because so many fathers neglect their sons, I thought it was a blessing and a privilege to have a son. So I brought Chris up with everything. He played every sport, every ball he could get his hands on. He played football, basketball, and Cherish and myself went to every game because he played. So we supported him 100% all the way through school. I was always there for him. I wasn't an absentee father, nothing like that. It was a Christian grew up without a father. I'm his natural father and everything, you know, so I was there for him. Even after Chris grew up and basically kind of flew, left the nest, I was still there for him. And Michael says Chris wasn't perfect and kept his parents on their toes when he was younger. But Michael also says that Chris recently started to get his life together. The transformation is something that Michael is proud to share. I'm not going to paint a picture and say Chris was an angel. Because, you know, Chris got us in trouble when he was younger. But Chris grew out of that. He began to start growing up. He began to start wanting to settle down more because Chris was getting toward his later 20s. As the family talks about Chris and the memories they have, there seemed to be a turning point in his life. It seemed like Chris started to kind of get things together when he made the decision to leave Wichita and move to the Kansas City area, away from his old life and towards something more promising. He began to start growing up and he wanted to start establishing himself and he wanted to get his own identity and he wanted to get a fresh start, which is the reason why he moved from Wichita to Kansas City, or Lee Summit, exactly where he stayed at. He moved away from Wichita because there's a lot of, he was mixed with a bad crowd. When he got here and started doing his own thing, he was so much happier. He was so free. His whole attitude was just so different. He was Chris again. Now some of that good mojo had to be coming from his family. The Shavers talked and talked about how much Chris loved his family. And even though he moved more than three hours away, he still made the drive to Wichita often.
because he was so family-oriented. That makes the Shavers miss him even more, because when they get together, they're missing Chris and his huge personality. Chris was a very loving person. He was all about family, loved getting together with his family, loved to come in town to see his family, nieces, nephews, loved his mother, his dad, he loved us all. He was happy we were supposed to have family night that Friday. He was so happy to come down for that. And just so quickly, just gone. He could see his, his family together, his nephews, his nieces, his uncles, his aunts, his cousins. You know, the family, that, that was his gift. Chris meant so much to us. It meant so much to me and his mother. And we had talked to Chris previously before the incident, about a week before, and I talked to him because he was coming down pretty much every weekend. And he said, well, Mom, he said, Dad, I wouldn't be able to make it down the past weekend. He said, but I'll be down on Friday, like Cherish said. We'll have a family day. He loved his mom's spaghetti, you know, and he said, make sure Mom makes that spaghetti because I've got to have that, you know. Michael and Cherish say Chris was their gift. He was born on Christmas Day, making the holiday even more special, except last year. It was just two months after his death, and his family says the holiday was almost unbearable. I just feel like I'm by myself. Like, I could talk to him about anything, and he wouldn't judge me. He'd tell me what I, he think I should. Sometimes he'd be upset for a second, he'd call right back and say, Oh, quit being a crybaby. I'm not mad at you. Like, it, we were okay. It's just hard not being able to see him anymore. <laughs> Not being able to call him up and invite him to different things that we do now because I'm so used to calling him. He was my work partner, like I can call him when I'm at work. So we're third shift, we would talk all night. He would help me get through my shift. I find myself picking up the phone to call him to steal and he's not there no more. Chris is my best friend. He was truly my best friend. I could call him for anything and he'd be there. He'd figure it out right away. His sister talks about how they had their own language that no one else could understand. His dad says how proud he was of the man Chris was becoming. And all of that was taken away suddenly. This is like, and I, it's like going through your own private hell every day. But we have to experience it every morning. Chris is basically the first thing that we think about when I wake up in the morning and the last person I think about when I go to bed at night. It's throughout that day I'm thinking about him constantly when I'm at work, you know, and it's hard. It's hard. It's very hard. Most of Chris's family seems genuinely bewildered over exactly what happened the day he died and how it's possible that the person responsible can even function knowing that they killed Chris. Our prayer for the person who did this is that they don't get any sleep, that they don't rest at night, that they just feel horrible every day until they turn themselves in. Like, how could you even sleep at night knowing that you were there and seeing this whole thing happen and you don't want to say anything? How could you even live your life knowing that you took somebody else's? They've got to be some kind of monster, you know? I mean, who could live a life like that knowing that you've taken someone else's life? Who could do that and just get up freely and just move about with their life like it was just, you know? They have no conscience. They have no heart, you know? That's a human life, you know? 
and that's your son or your child, that's someone else's son or child. I can understand how anyone could do. I never could understand how anyone could take somebody's life and still have no remorse. Someone's out there who knows exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Even if they weren't the one who did it, yeah. they know what happened. Then the pain cycles again, this time because the shavers start thinking about their future and realize it's one without Chris. We will never be able to know that this young lady who he was very interested in, who he said was the one, they never got a chance to even explore what kind of relationship they could have had together, a powerful kind of life they could have made together as husband and wife, because I think it was basically headed toward that direction. Even with all of the pain Chris's family still has six months after his death, his father still has the amazing gift to forgive the person who's put them in that situation. I pray to God that for their souls. There's an old saying, what goes around comes around. Our karma, however you want to place it, but God forbid something like that should happen to them. And I hope and pray it doesn't. And I, like I said, I don't hate the person who did it. You know what I'm saying? I just feel sorry for them. Because something has to be wrong with whoever it is mentally to do that and still be able to live with themselves and have no remorse. The Shavers also say they don't understand why the people who know what happened that night, who killed their son, haven't come forward. They know it will likely be up to a witness or a tip to solve Chris's case. Crime stoppers, how may I help you? Now you have even more of a reason to call police and tell them what you know. The TIPS hotline is offering a $10,000 reward in this case. If you have any information, even if you think police have already heard it, call the TIPS hotline at 816-474-TIPS. Email your tip to kccrimestoppers.com or send your tip through the Crime Stoppers app. You can download it at p3tips.com. You can find other episodes of Crime Files on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, as well as fox4kc.com. Just search Crime Files. For Fox 4 Crime Files, I'm Kara Small.